Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that an average person has a heart that beats about 100,000 times a day and pumps about 2,000 gallons of blood. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's podcast is going to be way cool because we've got Sam Sheridan on. Sam was an amateur MMA fighter and an EMT, a wildland firefighter, cowboy, sailor, and a South Pole construction guy. So basically, he's pretty much an ass kicker. He also wrote A Fighter's Heart. One Man's Journey Through the World of Fighting and the Fighter's Mind Inside the Mental Game. And his latest book, which I really love, is called The Disaster Diaries, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Apocalypse. And this book is awesome because he talks about hacking nervous system response to some of the craziest things out there. And I've intentionally pushed my nervous system not as hard as Sam has, but in some of these ways. So this is going to just be an awesome conversation. Some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, attending stunt driving school, learning Filipino knife fighting, 
being in Cody London's Aboriginal Living Skills School and stealing cars with gangbangers in L.A. Um, personally, I think Las Vegas is better for that. But all right, Sam, we're good there. And he's going to talk about like the biochemical cocktail that your body produces during intense stress. By the way, losing millions of dollars creates exactly the same kind of stress that stealing a car does. I can tell you haven't done it. So I believe that. I believe that. Be, before we get going, this is the first ever on our 50-something-ish Bulletproof, uh, Bulletproof podcast. This is my fourth podcast of the day. I'm brewing Bulletproof coffee during the actual interview. So I'm pouring boiling water on my coffee and a beaker because real coffee hackers use beakers. All right. In four minutes, you're going to see me pouring something, but our, our interview will not wait. It won't wait. Uh, no, I had uh, Joe Rogan made me your coffee, and it is amazing, man. It's fantastic. Oh, thanks, man. Joe's awesome. I, I love Joe. He's he's a total stud. And, yeah, uh, totally. I think he, he could probably kick both of our asses. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and that coffee is delicious. I'll say that. Much appreciated. I'll make sure to send you some. Uh, and by the way, if you're listening to this, you've heard enough of my podcast. I'm not doing it to plug my coffee. If you listen to the podcast, you already know about the coffee. I'm just doing it because, honestly, this is my fourth or fifth podcast today, and uh, I could use a boost. So my God, four podcasts in a day. That's rough, bro. Dude, that's, that's rough. That's I had a food poisoning day. yesterday, so my schedule got all jacked, so my voice is a little hoarse because I've been throwing yeah. up all night. But, dude, I'm bulletproof. I, this. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. All right. Let, let's jump in on this, Sam. Uh, I'm so stoked. When I read your book, I thought about another one of my favorite books from a few years ago called Emergency by Neil Strauss. Um, but what's different here is that you both kind of look at bad stuff that can happen in the world, but you looked really specifically at the, the neurological and biochemical response to it, which I thought was, was brilliant uh, versus just the sociological and sort of pushing yourself. And, and I think both of you guys arrive at a similar state where like, you become more self-aware and more comfortable by pushing limits, but your biohacker way of thinking, even if you don't call yourself that, it, it definitely resonated with me enough that I'm like, I got to have you on the show. Oh, cool. Well, that's great. I mean, I think, you know, we're writing from different times, but certainly the zeitgeist is the same, which is, yeah. you know, I think once you get into this kind of apocalyptic mindset, you start to, you know, it starts to be a wormhole and you start to chase your own tail into this. You start seeing the signs and you start, uh, you know, you start looking around and thinking about, you know, it, you play that what if game, you know, what if the big one hits and, and, and there's no end to that game really. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm fully armed right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. Actually, I, I live in Canada. As fully armed as you're allowed to be up here really is like a crossbow, but hey, that's good enough. Hey, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> So uh, it's all about getting good hits. Exactly, you get it right there. Uh, I'm working on that still. Let's jump in on on this something that that I didn't think you'd talk about in your book, but it turns out it, it was probably critical to it. And it's endurance training versus interval training. Like you mentioned it, but you didn't really go in on on that on the book. Like, what are the differences in the way you think about this when it comes to like surviving stress of any sort? Like, which, which is better, endurance versus interval? Wow. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, it's a million dollar question. I, you know, I kind of, um, I sort of started thinking about the apocalypse from the kind of almost from a, a cartoon place of like, you know, zombie land, <laughs> you know, like what totally. are the rules of zombie land? Like cardio, right? Cardio. And he's talking about sprinting. He's talking mm -hmm. about, you know, being able to sprint. And then once you get into kind of, you know, a lot of athletic um, endeavors, we've been getting ruled by the sort of, you know, the aerobic training for whatever, 20 years. And any trainer will tell you this, you know, they, 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 this is a, a favorite topic of trainers. But hold on, I, as I understand it, zombies prefer spandex. Is, is that true? 
I have no idea, man. <laughs> Don't ask me those questions. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, listen, the zombie thing is viable. I think it's fun because it's, you know, yes. the skills you need to survive a zombie attack are the same that would serve you well in other situations. So I think it's a fun, you know, thought experiment. Um, but yeah, you know, I got into what I decided to do was Olympic lifting training, which is, you know, very explosive, one rep max, all that stuff, just because I hadn't done it. Um, yeah. and I didn't know much about it. And I think there is a lot of value there in terms of being safe and not getting hurt, which is, you know, post-apocalyptically getting hurt is is a big problem. You know what I mean? Like getting surgery when there's no anesthesia is going to be a suck ball. So, I mean, I think you need to, to you know, be aware of not getting injured is, is a huge do, issue. And um, Do you have the Civil War surgery manual on hand? I'm curious. Do you? No, I don't. I, have, I, I, I do. There's no doctor, though. I have well, – there is no doctor and well, there is no dentist and okay. stuff like that. Those similar books. So, so my wife's an emergency room physician, so I have a, oh, an wow. advantage. But I fear she never she never learned how to amputate without the stuff, so I brought the book for her for Christmas. Like, nice. how romantic, right? Nice. No, that's all. I mean, that's what, exactly what you need, though, as an emergency room physician. Yeah. Your wife. That's a great – that's a great survival prep right there. That's a good thing for your bug out bag, you know? Yeah, exactly. But um, – so, yeah, I mean, I think – no, I think the short answer is you need to do both. You know, I think I think you know aerobic long distance training gets gets poo pooed a lot by all the CrossFit guys and a lot of people that sort of feel like you know you can get the same results by working out more intensely and faster. But I do think there is something about working out for a long period of time, like doing a long yeah, run. Like, you know, like a mental if, thing. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a conditioning thing. I think running again, you know, like getting into um, you know, Born to Run and, and McDougal's whole sort of hypothesis, which is a you know a fascinating topic um, we can get into. But I think you know, running is a little bit underappreciated in a sense. Um, and yeah, it's you know, time. I think not working out for a long time, it's going to catch up with you if you're only doing twenty minute CrossFit workouts and you know you have to do something for two or three hours. I think you'll suffer. So I think mental toughness and you know just conditioning your body. I think you know once a week do a longer workout. It's a fair argument. I, I'm not sure that I've seen the data about you know doing high intensity interval training and lack of of endurance. But I'm sure that there's something. If you're going to want to go run a marathon and you've never run more than you know 400 meter sprints, you're probably going to suck at the marathon. But if you've been running a marathon, you know every other Saturday you might not be as well equipped for the oh, zombie no, apocalypse, certainly. right? No, absolutely. No, I think you, you want to do both. That's what I'm saying. I, mean, I don't think it's, it's you know, yeah. I, I think it's it's too easy to fall into that camp right now of like just high intensity training and, and it's and you don't need to do anything else. I do think occasionally like once a month or, or, or you know, enough that you get a little bit of experience with working out for like an hour, hour and a half, that kind of thing. That's a totally fair argument. I, I'm probably on the, the high intensity interval training side of things in my recommendations, but I'm also looking at optimizing for most mental performance, most energy, and taking into account a bunch of stuff. Honestly, I'm not optimizing for you know the ultimate survival thing. And there's even, I think, something mentally very amazing like an alpha state you get when you go on even just a long hike with a heavy bag which is different than a run but also you know you're pushing yourself you know five mile an hour pace up hills it yeah. you know it, it's it's good stuff yeah no i agree i mean i think you know listen for you know obviously for economy and if you live in the modern world and you have a job and you you, know, you, yeah. you can't work out all the time you know i i get it i think uh that's the wonderful thing about high intensity training but and again, I'm not an expert, you know what I mean? I, this is just sort of my like sure. layman's kind of take on it, which I feel like 
you know, it, 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 you can't if you can, yeah, do like you know, do a long, do a day hike, you know, once yeah. a month. I mean, that's that to me. That I just notice my body totally changes when I'm in Colorado hiking all day. Like it's just a totally different kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I, I was just in Utah this weekend at uh, at Summit Series at nine thousand feet on Powder Mountain with a, a bunch of amazing like cool people and. You know, you feel it. You, you get up there in the mountains, and there's less oxygen, yeah. and like it. Yeah, it's a nervous system thing. Um, well, I mean, just just sleeping up there. I mean, you know, you'll have a huge. And that was the crazy thing about working at the South Pole was, you know, it's at ten thousand feet, the whole thing. So after six months at the South Pole, you come back and you're. Well, I always use a joke. You're bulletproof. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're, you're just invulnerable for about three weeks. And like, does it feel like you're swimming? Like when you get into the heavy atmosphere and you're used to that thin stuff, like your bike won't go as fast. And you're, did you I notice know. that? I, I just noticed like I couldn't be, I couldn't get hungover, and I couldn't get tired for about two weeks. Like I was, I would drink all night and then I would go for a run and I'd run like six miles and I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna do that again. I'd run another six miles. You know? <laughs> That's but cool. it totally, it wore off too. It totally like it went away. You know, I remember we were hiking along and it just. Oh, you know, you sort of came back <laughs> like on this one, you know, in about two weeks in, you reacclimated to the lower atmosphere or whatever. So nice. There's something that I, I do want, probably not enough to be honest. I, I've got these power lung trainers on Upgraded Self, and you you actually do resistance training with your lungs, like it's an inhaler, and you're like, like have to really engage your 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 stomach and just all of your rib cage just to breathe in. It's like it maybe it's like makes you a better pot smoke. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you talk yeah. about creating a little back pressure sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when, yeah. when you're at altitude. And I, that's, again, like one of the things I think that's kind of overlooked about distance running is, you know, you're holding everything taut. You know what I mean? You're kind of you're kind of maintaining this core pr- like pressure for for, you know, for an hour. Um, and that that, you know, that may have some positive effect. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Let's. Switch gears a bit and talk about Cooper's Color Code. Like, like one oh, of my yeah. one of my favorite books um, out there, and I I, I really like it because it's in alignment very much with what you're writing. It's On Killing by Dave Grossman, and it, it sounds like what bulletproof. Like, why are you talking about killing? You know, I, I'm not particularly into killing, but he looks at combat survival situations and covers some of this stuff too. But you did a really great job of positioning this for you know the non-SWAT fighter, like more like okay. Bad stuff happens to you. You didn't plan. What's the deal? So, can you walk us through Cooper's color code and like what's the biochemistry during each of the stages? Like to start with the white stage, what it is, and we'll sure. go, go down through there. Yeah, it's it's so you know people have known. We've all known, and everybody knows kind of the that stress and fear can screw up your thinking. You know, yeah. I mean, we all know that you're gonna you know he shit his pants right, or you know he froze. Uh, hope you, hopefully you don't freeze. That's like yeah. the, every man's greatest fear. So Jeff Cooper was this guy who was a firearms instructor um, and, you know, long-time vet and everything. And he started in the 60s noticing when his shooting uh, students were stressed out, they, they had a precipitous drop in their accuracy. And he started, you know, he came up with this color code. And the color code just represents kind of, you know, your state of arousal. So, so um, and it corresponds to, you know, because this is easy to measure in, in, in firearms and shooting, it's easy to measure your accuracy, whereas in other things, it can be a little bit harder to tell, you know, how, how affected you are by stress. So, you know, for, for Cooper, condition white was you're totally unstressed, you're at home, totally relaxed, and you're, you're watching TV, you know, you, the outside world is not important. 
And then yellow is kind of where you should be all the time, which is you're, you're sort of scanning your surroundings. You're out on the street. You're paying attention. You know what I mean? You're not, uh, you're not in space. You don't have your headphones on. Yeah. You know, don't, don't be walking with your headphones on. And then orange is you see a threat. You perceive a threat, and you know now your heart rate increases. And all this stuff right now mm-hmm. still in the good range of kind of what it does to your fine motor skills, yeah. what it does to your push and pull, what it does to your to your cognitive abilities. But then we get into red, which is you're in a fight for Cooper. And then the, the Marine Corps came up with black, which is what they call a catastrophic breakdown of your mental abilities. And that's when you really get into freezing and, and all the other problems. And some of this stuff you know, has a, an evolutionary component of related to the predator, you know, issue, which comes from, you know, before we were humans, you know, it comes from animals reacting yeah. to a big predator, which is freeze because predators are drawn to movement and even play dead, which is what, you know, mice will do because if a predator is not hungry, it might not eat you right now. So there's, uh, or, you know, behavioral looping. If, if, you know, somebody's, if a wolf is chewing on your arm, and you're hitting them with a rock. Just keep going, man. You know, just just keep going. Just hope, you know, that until he lets go, or you die. You know, that's, right. those are your options, right? And that's fine. That's a good survival strategy. But for the modern world, when we're dealing with like more complicated machinery, you say you have to reload or operate. No, just just email that won't stop, right? I mean, you, you hit it with a rock. I mean, it, yeah, exactly. Just, just keep clicking delete, man. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the story of, like, you know, guys get caught, you know, pushing on the wrong side of a door or a, door, a locked door. And that's called behavioral looping. That's mm-hmm. all stuff that happens in Condition Black. So, you know, for, for a lot of things, the arousal, the, the, you, can get, you can get super deep. And I recommend a book by Jeff Wise called Extreme Fear. But there's a lot of people. Amanda Ripley wrote a great book called um, – uh, I forget what it's called, but it's great. There's a lot of good writing about in, in the show notes um, for this on the, the blog, we'll make sure all those links to those books are there. So if you mention them, don't worry about it. We'll get them there. Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of what you know. Jeff Wise wrote that this is kind of like a um, a golden age for fear research because now where they're putting MRIs and and you know brain caps on guys jumping out of airplanes and they're kind of really seeing they can measure you know the amygdala and the kind of activity under stress, which which is a lot of what what you're about, and I think. This is just a higher level stress than yeah. sports psychology. So sports psychology is all pretty low. You're not going to die. Right. Nobody's going to tear your head. And, and this is getting into what unmakes you. So, you know, paramedics, you know, that I've spoken to will say that, you know, if, if it's a loved one, often you can't dial 911. And you think, like, what could be easier than dialing 911? Like, I'll never not be able to dial 911. But the truth is, when it's your kid on the floor, you have to get a neighbor to dial 911. You can't, you can't read the buttons. And it's funny, a, a guy I know got mugged and he was like, yeah, I was dialing 411 over and over again. <laughs> and that was just after being mugged. You know, it wasn't like yeah. you know, he got shot. So uh, stress, this, this kind of um, – there's a creep that I think is very hard to cope with. And you know, being in shape, being in really good shape helps you cope with these, these stress hormones and, and these chemicals that get released. And then we can get into stress inoculation, yeah, that, the, various, the various schemes. You that's can something we totally need to talk about because so many of the podcasts, we talk about hacking the nervous system, but never like, you know, at the, at the levels where you get the most activity and you can really see what you're made of are 
these kind of levels. Uh, and I, I didn't like what I found when I did some extreme stuff like this. And we'll, we'll get into that later. But let's talk about stress and isolation <laughs> and how that affected you in, in your book and what you did. And let's talk about what it does biologically for normal people who aren't, you know, South Pole, cowboy, ass kickers, well, you know. No, no. See, here's the thing. You're going about it all. I think, I think you know, you're saying you, you see what you're made of. But, but yeah. even, um, even your guy Grossman will say, Grossman wrote it on combat. He goes, you don't rise to the occasion. Yeah. You sink to the level you're training, which exactly. was the military. So there's, so you know, you just hadn't trained for what you were doing, and that, and that's all it is. It's not about you're not a good man, or oh, you're, yeah. not you're not, you know what I mean. It's it's mm-hmm. it's really about what you're exposed to and what your experience is and what you've taught yourself to do, and which is you know again a huge part of what your what your podcast is about. Um, yeah. So this basically this so this stress, um, you know. We've known about it forever, right? You know, the Spartans had 30 words for fear, right? Mm-hmm. You know, men have been studying how fear affects them forever. Um, it's not a new science, but there's – and there's two sort of main ways to deal with stress. Stress inoculation, which is you can either train or you can have done it before. You know, so experience or training, you know, so, so those are the kind of the two, the two ways you do it. Now, that you can also do something called combat breathing, which – you know, there's some efficacy there, which is, you know, if you, if you can't dial 911, if you can really control your breathing and bring yourself down out of condition red into condition orange. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly snipers talk about doing that in combat situations. The, the, the you heart, have to be a hard shot. The heart rate variability training stuff that I do, like the inner balance sensor, um, that stuff, I, in my experience, I can pull myself out of one of those things pretty consciously now. And I know a few snipers do use that specifically. In fact, the military is starting to use heart rate variability training preventatively because if you can do that to your nervous system, you don't get PTSD in combat. Like, yeah. It, it's a huge thing, right? No, it's totally linked. So this uh, yeah. condition black is linked to PTSD. That, mm-hmm. That's called disassociation. It's what shrinks called disassociation. It's when you actually start to fragment memory and yeah. then all these problems later. But it's again, it's this extreme events where you think you're going to die leads you into condition black. You know, you have all these problems in the moment, but you also have problems later because your memory is a mess and uh, and fragmented, and you stop being able to recognize yourself and you can't mm-hmm. understand the world. And that's a whole different ballpark. But but absolutely, I would think the military would be totally down with this. And again, you're training this stuff, you probably have an advantage. Um, I, I found that, that um, it's too, you know, I can't do it. I think, like, when you get into condition red and black, like, mm-hmm. you're too late. You know what I mean? Like, later you can go, oh, yeah, I fucked up. And I, excuse me, should I not swear on this? Is that okay? It happens. Um, we're, we're not quite like the Rogan show here right. because right. we get listened to on the radio occasionally. But, yeah, F-bombs happen. Keep it, keep it under control. I'm there trying to close like a sailor, right? You know? <laughs> uh, but you, you you can actually um, you know with with like you're saying with training, but I find usually and I think with certainly with condition black the problem is is you don't know you're there. Yeah. There's no way for you to know you're there that you're not thinking clearly. And the 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 few times I've kind of been in there, it's you know yeah later I knew oh yeah I was you know not thinking well, but but uh, at the time that was the whole problem is you're not thinking clearly. So I, I did this urban escape and evasion course. <laughs> few years ago, before I really had full control of my heart rate variability stuff. And this is one where they teach you how to pick handcuffs. There's some videos of me like trying to break out of uh, zip ties and completely trashing my wrist. They're all bloody and stuff and climbing out of trunks of cars after I've been kidnapped. But the the worst part was the final day, they hood you and, and handcuff you and kidnap you in a van. This was in Santa Monica. And then you like escape from the van by picking the handcuffs and running away. 
And then all day long, there's a dozen bounty hunters hunting you while you try and do missions and you're putting on disguises and accessing cash things. It's like, you know, very much how do you survive the apocalypse in an urban environment? Right. And like, oh my God, the decisions I made, like one time I saw like three people in a dark hat and two of them are bounty hunters. One of them is the guy I want to talk to for my mission. And so I'm like hiding. I'm like, what do I do? And like standing behind the pizza place. And and then one of the ex-military guys is in there with me. Like, I just watch him. He, he puts on this bright red hat. He walks right up. And, of course, the bounty hunters chase him. So he runs away, goes through a store, tells him there's bad men chasing him, escapes out the back, goes back, gets the key. And I'm still standing there just going, I don't know what to do. Should I hide? But, <laughs> yeah, right. And, like, I realized my panic, my fear response had totally taken over. I wasn't yeah. thinking. And this guy was trained. And he just, like, sailed through it. And I was like, I kind of yeah. feel like, like a total wuss here. But it wasn't about yeah. wuss. It was about training. Right. And awareness of my neurological state, which wasn't where I would have liked it to be. Yeah. So the kind That's of, exactly it. So, yeah. so that guy had two two advantages over you. He had the stress inoculation from training and he had experience. You know, he'd been it wasn't his first rodeo, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, he, he'd been in the the stuff like this and, and uh he knew kind of how to act. Where, you know, it's even one time I remember being I was a sailor for years and I remember just hearing this these guys doing distress calls and they were at sea and it was like a tail end of a hurricane, but it wasn't terrible, but it was just, they hadn't been through it. You know what I mean? To right. them, it was like, Oh, this is the end of the world and there's water coming in and we're going to, you know, the boat is recovered floating. You were fine. You weren't <laughs> going to die, but it, you, you know, they got in this jag where if they'd hung out for six hours, they would have been like, Oh, we were so scared. Ha ha. But they never got there. Right. And you have to live through that. And, and then, you know, Oh, we're not going to die, you know. And, and again, I think it's funny because I used to be, uh, you know, like you said in MMA and stuff. And I wrote a book about the fighter's mind, and a huge part of mental toughness in fighting is understanding that lactic acid overload, which you know, which I think is what's great about CrossFit and 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 certain high interval training, the mental toughness aspect, because you're sure you're going to die. You know, I'm going to die if I don't stop. And then you don't die. And then when yeah. that feeling comes again, you go, oh, that's just a feeling. Like you become more like a Buddhist monk. You go, oh, pain's, pain's just an illusion, right? I, can, I know what that is. I, it's, yeah. it's something I can, I can deal with because I know I won't actually die. And I think that's, that's a big part of experience. And, and, and you know, just having seen it one time can really change your fear response. I, mine changed after I did that, that training. And it, it's funny because – one of the things you don't hear about with stress inoculation, except in a military kind of setting, is around sleep. So they do that stress inoculation around sleep. They wake you up at 2 in the morning, make you go do things that no sane person has any right to do at 2 in the morning. And then they mess with you. And most of us, that our inner reptile and mammal, it's like, oh, my God, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm going to die. And what I taught myself is, all right, I didn't get enough sleep. I'm not going to die. So I'm going to focus and perform at the level that I expect, and then I'm going to get more sleep later, and it's okay. And right. it's, it's that same process for every single thing that messes with you that I've right. ever come across. You just have to train the inner Labrador in your head to yeah. you know, like sit there and wait till the popcorn you're allowed to eat it. Whatever trick you're training it to do right now, it's all the same, and it's all stress inoculation-based. Do you agree with that? I mean, that's kind of where yeah, I ended absolutely. up with. You know, totally. I think, you know, it's funny. I always talk about, you know, people, and my wife and I would joke about this. People would be like, Oh, having a baby was the hardest thing I ever did. And you're like, really? I mean, yeah, it's hard, but it's not that hard. I mean, it's not like, oh my God. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you don't get a lot of sleep for like six weeks or a month or yeah. six months or whatever. You know, it's, it's, listen, it's hard, but you know, 
it's not you're not a lot of people do it. Let's just say that a lot of people do it and it works out. So yeah. and like getting context, like I, I met this woman once in a in a traditional Indian sweat lodge. And she's like, oh, I've hit rock bottom, uh, and she was kind of whining. And and I just looked at her. I don't know what came over me, and, and I said, it looks like you've still got both legs. And she goes, what? And I said, I don't think you've hit rock bottom because you still <laughs> <Yeah>. got. <laughs> it's like it could be yeah. a lot worse. Take a deep breath. Yeah. You know, ground yourself and realize like you got a lot going for you. <laughs> yeah. No, I told. And I think again, like understanding, you know, that how much worse people have had it and how much worse people have made it through. Yeah. yeah. You get, get your pride involved a little bit. You know what I mean? Which is like, man, don't be a baby. Like a lot of guys have come through a lot worse. Like and, talk to and, a World War II veteran who spent yeah. some time in a concentration camp and realize that nothing in your life is that bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's good nothing to complain about. You know what I mean? And, and listen, you know, misery is part of the human condition. You're always going to find something. But, but yeah, that, that's I think that's the, the so the two things of stress inoculation are to train and and to have experience. Now you can't like you know obviously create life and death experiences for yourself. Even in the military, they can't really do that. So they yeah. try to simulate close. The one thing about I think was really interesting about training and was in uh, Grossman's book on combat was you know that your your training has a has a very direct correlation to how you react. So it's not just about how you train; it's how well you train, like how smartly you train. Um, the story, the apocryphal story, I always think of was there was two uh, cops who used to train disarms, and they they trained with each other. They were partners. They trained disarms all the time, and and they would. They would disarm me and then hand the gun back, and, and then I, you disarm me and I disarm you. And one cop was in a – he was in a, like a convenience store, came around the corner, and the robber had the gun to him. He disarmed the robber and handed the gun back to the because <laughs> that's what he trained to do. And under yeah. stress, you do what you train to do. So like, it's like every repetition has got to be as good as you can make it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing to think about in training because if you're doing a lot of cruddy repetitions – uh, you know, my friend Tiger would say you, you reach into your backpack and you pull one out at random, you know, and it might be a good rep, but it might be a bad rep if you're doing a lot of bad ones and you want to you want to try to mitigate that. A lot of people listen to this podcast and some of the quantified self people, they're very cognitive focused. So you get this idea that, you know, you can choose and, and be very conscious about all the things you're doing. And what I found is the more I work on improving my conscious awareness, the more I realize that the vast majority of behaviors are programmed and they happen before I have a chance to think about them. So, you know, you walk around, you walk around the corner, there's a guy with a gun in this situation you just said. He didn't think, hmm, there's a gun. I wonder which technique I should use. It was like, bam, and, and the guy, you know, the gun's out of the guy's hand. And it's that automated response. When it's programmed wrong, like, you will do stupid stuff and oh, you'll yeah. be frustrated forever until you reprogram the the skill that underlies your conscious awareness of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think you know, listen, I don't think we choose almost anything. You know, I think <laughs> I think uh, the idea that man is a rational actor is almost absurd. I think you justify your emotional choice. You know, didn't didn't wasn't Kahneman the, yeah. the economist who won a Nobel Prize for showing that all these businessmen basically just make emotional decisions. The stock market's up when it's sunny and down when it's rainy. You know what I mean? It's like you don't choose almost anything. I think you react emotionally and then you try and justify it and try to figure it out. But yeah, no, you know, again, this guy handed the gun back to a crook, you know, because he trained that, you know, and that's and that's that kind of thing is common. They found, you know, guys who were they used to pick up brass. They'd find them in gun after gunfights. They would have brass in their pockets. Oh, that, you know, that's just. During the fight, they were picking up brass off the floor, you know, because that's what they trained to do. So there's, 
there's certainly, you know, you have to train in an intelligent way, you know, and train and train uh, as, 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 you know, with the kind of live action. And, and there's, there's, you know, again, like you talk about um, the Filipino knife fighting, there's danger in, in training too much um, in certain ways. Like we're training with padded sticks too much. Mm-hmm. You know, after a while, you start not being afraid of the sticks. So you're just going to grab it, you know, or you're going to do yeah. something that's not safe and that you wouldn't be able to do if that was a real stick or that was a knife. So there's, you, know, you got to kind of, kind of control for that stuff. That is phenomenal. I, I've for years said I, I want to do more martial arts, but yeah, you know, when you have young kids and you know two jobs and all that, yeah, yeah it's on my list. But you're a Krav guy, right? You're a Krav guy. Sorry. No, I've, I, that's what I want to do. But I live in a small town in British Columbia. There isn't a lot of that here. I have a yellow belt in judo, but mostly okay. I'm six four and I walk like I know how to take care of myself, and I'm completely unafraid of basically facing someone who's gonna try and hurt me and say one of us is gonna die here, and whoever doesn't die is gonna walk away bleeding like a mother. And bad people know. That that and that's at the end of the day it's in your energy but honestly yeah. there's a lot of guys who could kick my ass um that's just the way it is but at least i look tough well you know i mean that commitment is you know yeah. that is that is huge man i mean you'll back all kinds of people off with just yeah. if you're if you're in that place of like hey let's you know let's find out you know i i fought a guy in thailand and a friend of mine was just watching it and he goes yeah you were you didn't beat yourself you know what i mean uh, you were sort of like let's let's you know hey this guy was better than me but it was like Let's, you know, we're going to find out. Like, don't try to psych me out. Let's find, we're going to find out in like 30 seconds. So like, just, just chill. And we're going to get into it, you know, and I beat him, but it was, it was, cool. uh, you know, I think that's an, it's a, it's a valuable kind of place to, to get yourself. Well, let's talk about some of the hacks there in, in your book, which honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you totally should read disaster diaries. It's cool. You wrote about something that I didn't really know about, which is that in the North Hollywood shootout bank robbery thing a while back. The, the guys who did it took phenobarbital before they went into the bank. Why would you do that in a stress situation? Like, why did they choose to do that? Yeah, isn't that wild? Well, so one of the old, one of the shooting mantras is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Because always when you're manipulating firearms, you know, you start getting ahead of yourself. So you start, ah, trying to reload and, and, and you know, and then you, and then you screw it up yeah. and you have to slow down and start from the beginning. So, yeah, uh, you know, if you can be slow, you can be smooth, and if you can be smooth, you can be fast. And those guys taking um, the phenobarbital, you know, it chilled them out. And if you watch the video, they're chill, and they're so much more dangerous. They're like robots. It was creepy to watch them. It's super creepy, and they're way more dangerous because of how relaxed they are. Because they can just—they had the body armor on, they trusted it, and they were—you know—they were just gonna do their thing, man. And like, you know, you gotta stop me. And it was—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really interesting to think about. You know, it's talking about trying to hack yourself. If you can, you know, put yourself in a, in that kind of place when you're doing something high stress, you'll you'll do better, you know, for sure. So let's talk about that for a minute. How would you, how would you go about using nutrition and you know maybe not phenobarbital to do that? Well, I, you know, I, I think again the only way you can do it that I know of, um, you know, besides I don't know about the the the, the pharmacology aspect, but again, if, is you control your own reactions. You know, so you control what your amygdala does by you know by exposing yourself by by putting yourself in situations that are scary you know when you go skydiving when you get in the ring and spar with somebody um you know 
certainly, you know, the, the more fights you have, the more dangerous you get just because you yeah. have the experience, right? You know, you, it's, it's, you, you beat yourself, you know, usually. I know guys who couldn't punch their, their first fight. They couldn't, they were so nervous they couldn't punch. They could just kick and run around, you know, and, and, um, and you know, certainly I'm not like, you know, a, a cold, savvy, you know, blew up veteran but but i know a little bit and i've been in with enough guys that it, like i can do a few things and i know how much better i'd be if i had more fights you know what i mean and yeah. so i think there is some crossover you know of of stress inoculation it's not direct so like you know a guy who's who's say like a firefighter um is going to do better in a high stress situation than say a civilian and you know you can play those the thought experiments. You can you can you can run scenarios in your head, have a plan, and and you know have something that you know you're going to do. You know if you if there's a common scenario, like when we used to work around helicopters, you'd always know your outs because helicopters go wrong all the time, especially in in wildland firefighting. They, okay. they it's just scary, right? There's wind and you're in trees and they're landing and taking off, a lot of moving parts, and so you whenever you're around them, you always kind of knew like well. If anything goes wrong, I'm jumping down there and behind that rock. You know, I'm, I'm, and then you know the minute some, that's where you're going. Like you've only got one thing you're going to do. And I know the Marine Corps, you know, they have a kind of rules about you only have like one or two or three things that you're going to do at tops. Mm-hmm. And anything more than that, you get hung up in decision making trees, and it doesn't work. It doesn't. It's not fast. So you just have a few sort of simple, you know, reaction. Type things. I'm not really sure about like the pharmacology. I mean, the, the, again, like what you're already doing, which is getting a rest. I mean, it's huge. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's hugely important. Um, you know, they they show again and again if you, you're much more susceptible to these kind of catastrophic breakdowns if you're already exhausted. You know, which is why they push you in buds and why they push you in some of your the training you do. One of the things that that has a pretty profound effect in my experience is the brain octane oil or even just plain MCT oil, because you have two energy pathways in brain cells. You've got the glucose metabolism, sugar burning, and you've got fat burning, ketones, and ketones burn differently in the brain. So I found that that even in things like meditation, where or if I'm doing neurofeedback, like the 40 years of Zen thing, you're getting feedback 50 times a second. So you really can feel speed differences in the brain. And it's really noticeable. So there's a bunch of like MMA guys who are now like doing bulletproof coffee even before they go in a fight because the more energy in the that you have in the brain, like cellular mitochondrial energy, the more you can perform at, at this level. So if you want to be able to like have your your human brain interact more effectively with you know your automated responses and like surf that wave between the two, it seems like just having a ton of of calories in the brain, like a ton of energy there helps but i don't think it's like a phenobarbital kind of effect but i've i've often wondered like i thought you might you know have come across some stuff because you pretty well researched books so i wish i wish yeah no right. I, listen i did a lot of there's not a lot of drugs but like never uh never the, the phenobar but but i think you know listen i i do all my work really early in the morning and i think it's because you know, there's what a glucose in the brain and that's when i'm smart you know what i mean that's when everything's working and and uh, i think you know I, I couldn't agree more that I think having a more you know chemical energy available yeah. is going to be benefit hugely beneficial um, and and getting your rest. I mean, there's all, there's that uh, story about um, you know Olivier, you know the greatest actor in, of, in history, developed uh, stage fright, and it was because he was stressed, like he was doing too many shows and had too mm-hmm. many things going on, 
And then there was like a, a critic in the front row, you know what I mean? And he developed Satrite, which he had to deal with for 10 years before he got over it. But, you know, he did. But again, I think it was the, the, the corrosion of kind of the self from exhaustion that makes you susceptible to these fear hormones. Okay, let, let's talk about PTSD, cortisol, and catastrophic dissociation. That, that's a, a perfect segue there. You yeah. probably didn't get PTSD from being heckled by the audience, but you never know. It could be kind of traumatic, right? So what is what can you do about cortisol? Because if you have more cortisol, you get more PTSD. Like, did you come across anything in your work on that? You know, I, I didn't do too much on that. I, I only really got into – I did write some on PTSD, and I talked to a, a couple of different people um, who were, you know – clinical people in the field and, and uh, you know, had done a lot of work in Katrina and uh, after 9-11. Um, and I did a lot of reading. You know, there's a great book called The Survivor by Terence Desprez, which has all the, it's sort of looking at the common statistics, common characteristics of Holocaust camp survivors and gulag survivors. Yeah. And it's, it's and, you know, it's fascinating and it's very interesting. But, you know, so... You know, I'm, again, as I understand it, there's this thing which happens, which is called dissociation, you know, which is you start to fragment. Um, you start to have um, problems with your memory. And the, the cortisol overload, you know, it, it basically screws up the hardware, you know what I mean, yep. as well as the software. So it's, it's – you, and then you have a hard time coming back from that. You have a hard time recognizing yourself and recognizing your friends and feeling things. I mean, it, it's – again, it's kind of a nebulous thing. You know, again, this yeah. guy the, – the, the, I always think of it as like it's kind of like what you use to explain what you can't explain, which is like there's a guy, he's got a great job, he's got friends, he's got a wife or you know he's got a fiance, and then he almost dies. And two years later, he's got no job, no friends, his fiance hates him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's what happens to him. It's not really clear exactly, but something obviously you know is is happening to the guy and he's not he's not able to, to move forward and certainly – you know what happens to combat veterans and what happens to kids who grew up in you know in the in the in the terrible urban you know gang situations they're constantly bathing in these stress hormones and it's screwing up their software it it's kind of funny you mentioned kids so the reason i'm asking about this is that i got ptsd when i was born like i was born with a cord wrapped around my neck oh yeah and i didn't know this till i was like 30 but i was literally in orange all the time because, like, my nervous system got wired before I had a brain, really, you know, like, right. like you're just a baby. So I, I came in literally ready to kill. I'm like, something's trying to strangle <laughs> me as I'm coming into the world. Like, like right. I'll take it down, right? So right. I, I was wow. in, like, I don't know, 75 fights, like, hardcore fights, like, people on the ground, me rubbing their faces on cement to make sure they right. wouldn't mess with me again kind of stuff before I was out of high school. Like, I was always right. in it, and I never threw a first punch, but I was like, the second you come close, it's that orange mode, which is like, there's a potential threat, which is every human being around me, <laughs> and if right. they do anything, I may have to kill them, right? right? So I've done a lot about hacking to, like, turn that stuff off, but I had no clue that you could get PTSD, like, very early on in life, and that it would affect your outlook much later, and, and that's that conscious brain versus, like, unconscious wiring, and I had the most weird wiring, so I kind of feel wow. for... Like, you know, guys who get trauma later in life, you know, you, you get in a horrible accident or, you know, you get beaten up and like you're disabled. But like maybe I feel it more viscerally because like it is below your level of conscious thinking. It's just there. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, listen, that's how I never knew. I never heard any. But that's amazing. And I totally see it. I mean, I think, you know, 
you know, in this society, there's kind of like this, there's, oh, rub some dirt on it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, you're okay. You're malingering. You know what I mean? You're fine. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. But, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been always kind of with us and, and you know, the great war heroes of the World War II, you know, like Audie Murphy, like tried to bring attention to it. He had a terrible drinking problem. Yeah. You know, he's, just, he's the most decorated like guy in history, you know, and, and it's like he's not a pussy. You know, Audie yeah. Murphy's not a coward, dude. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's like this this stuff, uh, it affects you. So, yeah, again, I, what I tried to get into in the book was I was sort of getting into what like what a layman could do in a, an apocalyptic situation. So this is post-apocalypse, you know, and – you know, one of the problems is, is, is that, you know, for, for a traumatic event is that your, your narrative is a mess. The narrative is screwed yeah. up. Now, the, the idea being that, you know, again, this is, this is not, you know, not everybody believes this, but you try to reestablish a narrative. So you talk, yeah. you talk about, you know, you talk with people who have been through a similar experience. You know, with veterans are always trying to bring veterans together in groups, you know, because it helps them. And you try to talk to people who have had that same experience and you try to, I think, you know, really reestablish a narrative, a, a conscious narrative, and con- that gives you a kind of control over over the past. Hey, here's a, a fascinating trick. I don't know if you've heard of this one. If you want to know if you disassociated during some something that happened to you, is go back and kind of re-experience it in your memory. And if you're looking down on yourself, like watching a TV camera on you, you are disassociated. You were outside your body to have that recollection of the event. If you remember the event for what it looked like inside your eyes, you were in your body and you were not disassociated. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. It, it's kind of cool because you know if you look back at those really like hair raising experiences that made your life, most of the time, most people they're looking down on themselves, which means they were so scared, literally scared shitless sometimes that yeah. they left their body and like looked down, like well, oh my god, what's going on? So there's some really powerful like unusual branches of therapy and even like shamanic work where they use that to help you understand, okay, how do you come back in and re-experience that from the perspective of like being in your meat, like in, right. in the flesh of your body, which turns off PTSD in a pretty effective way. It's just amazing you can hack the body like that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is just like what it, it, you're getting into this kind of like meshing of like science and philosophy. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it is like, I even wrote about it, like you're crossing the river, you know, you're, you're, that, that can't be crossed, and there, there's a kind of like you're, you're you have the forbidden knowledge, you know what I mean? When, when you when you've disassociated like that, when you've gone to condition black, you 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 know what it is to die, right? But you yeah. didn't die. You felt like you were going to die. You learned, but you didn't actually die. So there is this kind of, you know, I, I totally like you know I got no problem with the shamanic anything, you know what I mean? Because it is this meshing of philosophy and science. There is there is a there is a gray area in there. It, a lot of those techniques are targeting the nervous system below the conscious level of awareness. And I know some, some shamans who are, they have freaky abilities. They, they can do things that people shouldn't be able to do. And I think it's just because my brain is at a certain, you know, we're all 350 milliseconds and some of their techniques are just not in the realm of conscious thinking for what we Absolutely. do. I, I'm yeah. not claiming to understand how it all works and all. I'm just saying that I know some guys who can do things they shouldn't be able to do. And right. I've done work with them and I've spent time with them and like, okay, like there's respect there, not, you know, yeah. not you know, negative well, you know, feelings. You know what you don't know, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. That's a big one is like there's, there's more to the heaven and hell than, you know, in your philosophy ratio and all that stuff. And I definitely am I'm with that one. Nice. All right. Let's talk about the apocalypse a little bit. Where should you live during the apocalypse, what's the best place to live? In the right place. That's where you should live. You know, I mean, it's the funny thing. You know, it's uh, 
there's so many apocalypses and it's just that this is the wormhole you get down. And I think this is when I watch, uh, you know, I watch doomsday preppers and stuff. Um, you realize that that's, you know, is this actually making your life better? You know, you've got the bunker, but what, you know, are you just living in fear? You know what I mean? Right. And that's what I tried to get to in my book a little bit was like prepping and being ready for the apocalypse. You got to use it as a way to learn and a way to grow and a way to like entertain yourself don't cower in your bunker with your gun and your white knuckles, yeah. you know, because that's not making your life better, A. And B, you know, it's the black swan, man. You have no idea what's right. coming. And until you do, I mean, yes, bunker up at a certain point. But you know, are you going to live in the bunker? Are you never going on vacation again? You know, what if you can't get to the bunker? You're mentally so at attached to that thing that you snap. You break because you don't – you can't get to it. You know, you spend all this time. I remember one of the doomsday preppers – this guy was married to like a Laotian woman who had been a refugee and she was pissed. You know what I mean? Cause she was like, this guy doesn't get it. Like he doesn't get the way it's going to go. Like, like he spent 40 grand on groceries and it's not, it's not going to go that way, dude. And you know what? She didn't say anything, but it was like, Oh yeah, she's been through it. You know what I mean? She's right. been a refugee. She's been, you know, displaced. And, uh, so yeah, that was kind of where I really wanted to get to was, you know, it, was it have it be kind of a positive thing, you know, and, and, um, and not be, you know, if it make, if it's making your life worse, don't do it. You know I mean? Keep, keep yeah. uh, fear at bay, you know, you want to build resilience. And in fact, in, in your book, that was one of the things that, that I really liked is, is that was kind of where you ended up on a positive note. Neil Strauss did the same thing in his, and I, I don't want to say your books the same. They're radically different books, but you both had a common set of experiences interpreted differently, but both you ended up at the end, like, I'm stronger and better because of all this rather than I'm cowering in a bunker dirt poor because, you know, I have three inch or sorry, three foot, you know, reinforced concrete walls around me all yeah. the time, but, but I can't pay my taxes. So they're going to take my bunker. Right? Yeah. You know, everybody who, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, don't put a hard date on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually cut all this stuff that I did. I did a lot of research on, um, on, you know, on, on apocalyptic writing and Armageddon writing and, yeah. you know, don't, don't put a hard date on it, dude. Cause it never comes yeah. So, you have to have like purple robes and wait for the comet. Y'all drink the Kool-Aid. It, it's just yeah. messy that way. You shouldn't yeah. do that. Yeah, don't do it. Don't, so don't sell the farm, you know? So the, the thing that I think about the most, like if, if there is a, a, a widespread food shortage, which is the most likely bad thing that's going to happen, you don't have hurricanes, whatever, but like in terms of like global things. So where do you get enough fat, which is the primary important nutrient? Like you can always, almost always find some carbs and some protein somewhere, but like getting healthy fat, like any thoughts on that? No, I mean, listen, that's that's the, the trick of all survival. You know, protein is an ephemeral resource, meat yeah. and fat, and, and that's what allows us to be human. You know, we uh, there's a great book called The Evolution of the Human Head, and, and you, you kind of get into what the modern evolution sort of theory on, on diet and how our intestines changed, and, you know, it's getting those fats, you know, that allowed us to kind of have these huge brains that are such a metabolic draw. You know, it's 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 specific it's survival specific it's it's it, there's no way to kind of give you you know there's no uh there's no answer there's no pat answer yeah have a jar of peanut butter you know have have a have your go have your go bag you know have your have your stuff and and you know be able to to have a plan but there's there's not really like uh you know there's no there's no answer i don't think you know it's all specific to the situation it is indeed i i think my biggest fear is a, a butter apocalypse where there's no source of grass-fed butter anymore, and you know I have to you know render my neighbors. I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but like it's I, I got to get my fat. So. It's hell, man. It's hell. <laughs> it's a nightmare. I think people are a lot more resilient than they know too. You know, I mean, people live through again all kinds of hell, yeah. and and they and they make it, and they eat their shoes, and they you know they 
they they eat each other and and uh, you know they keep going you know and uh, you know it would be interesting to see. I, it was a really fun book to write. Very scary at times, you know. It was sort of terrifying at times um, because you know you start to get into some of this stuff and you realize how bad it could be. But again, the, the trick is not to to let it go there, not to let it stay there. To kind of you know try to temper it. That's uh, that's amazing advice. We're running out of running out of time, but there's a question that I ask all the guests on the show. Based on everything you know, all the stuff you've done, not just your books or anything else. The top three things that you've learned that people should know to be more resilient, to basically kick more ass. Yeah, I think uh, the top three things I'm going to say just is, you know, drink, drink more coffee. I love you, man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> drink, drink wine and drink scotch. Those are my, those are my three things. I have not heard those ones before. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's easy to get into kind of like, oh, you know, do this and do that. But really, you know. My New Year's resolution for the last two years has been to drink drink more with my friends because, you know, it's too easy for us to get into this habit of like, oh, I can't drink, I got to work and I got to write in my brain. And you know what? You got to you gotta just you know, drink some wine with your friends and then occasionally you got to get a little crazy and drink some scotch and, you know, all <laughs> things in moderation, even moderation, right? Love it. Love it. That's awesome. And it's, uh, it's been amazing, Sam. Thank you so much. Thanks Tell me. Give me your URLs. Where can people find more? Where can they follow you on Twitter? Where can they find your book, your blogs, all that um, kind of stuff? I'm like the worst Twitter in the world. Um, Fighters, Fighters Mind is my Twitter handle. Um, the book is called Disaster Diaries. And then I've got two other books, the Fighter's Heart and uh, a Fighter's Heart and the Fighter's Mind. And those are all over the place. And uh, I have a website, worldismadeoffire.com. It's Lovely a, domain. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm nice. a Luddite. But yeah, get in touch with me. I'm on Facebook. You know, I'm around, man. It's all, all right. Good. We'll make sure to put links to your Facebook and everything else on the show notes. So come by, check it out. And thanks again. What a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate it, Sam. Well, I appreciate you doing what you do, man. So, so good luck with it. You know? All right. Stay bulletproof. Uh, all right. I will. I'll do my best. <laughs> thanks a lot. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.